As we come to look at God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this written word in front of us this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us clearly from it and from the words that I'm going to say this morning. Amen. Uh, As you can probably gather, my voice is not brilliant this morning, so I'm going to use the PowerPoint quite a lot. Please read what comes up rather than me having to say it. that's our, that's our uh, passage, and for me, as I was reading this, the key verse that came out was verse, whoops, gone, was that verse there, verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And if you take one thing from this sermon this morning, I'd like you to take that and apply it to your life as well. For nothing is impossible with God. And it's repeated by Paul in Ephesians 3, verse 20. Have a look at that. Now I wondered, what is our viewpoint on life? There's a saying, isn't there? Are you a half full glass person or a half empty glass person? In other words, do you tend to look on the bright, optimistic side of life, or do we tend to look from perhaps a slightly more pessimistic viewpoint? Well, of course, whatever we are, it will colour our viewpoint quite considerably. And I think the same can be said upon our understanding of God, if we're followers of Jesus. Do we expect God to be a God who is in charge, who has a plan, who doesn't leave things to chance? Or do we follow a benign God who allows life to go on without any purpose or direction? Do we expect within our life experiences to include seeing God at work? Well, I think it must have been the same for the uh, children of Israel, the Israelites. Because as we look at our passage this morning, we know, don't we, that for 400 years, the people of Israel had had no direct input from their God. There'd been no prophets operating in their land. God had seemed to be silent. And they'd had to rely on the interpretations of the law by the Pharisees and the Sadducees to hear what God was saying to them. However, we know that God was not absent, but was in fact preparing a plan of salvation for his Messiah to come to earth. And within our passage this morning, we can see God's supernatural intervention into the world. And we can see some of the human responses to this intervention. And through it, we see something of the character of God. The character that may seem quite unlikely to us. Firstly, we see that God chooses unlikely locations for his action plan. The town of Nazareth, set in the hill country of Judea. As the quote says in John 1, verse 46, Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a small, insignificant town, not the type of place one would expect God to choose for his Messiah to come from. So God chooses 
unusual places, unlikely locations. And he may even choose Norwich to be a place where he wants to work in. Secondly, we see that God chooses unlikely people to enable his plan to be delivered. We read of Mary in this passage, a young teenager, she probably would have been 13, 14 sort of age, a virgin pledged to marry a carpenter, not a wealthy man, not a well-educated lady from a good Jewish family living in a city like Jerusalem, the centre of religious life. However, we read in these verses that Mary had been actually chosen by God for the task of bringing God's Messiah into the world. We read she was favoured by God. And yet we clearly see that she doesn't understand this, but is willing to accept and acknowledge her servanthood to God and her role in this plan. She is a humble and obedient young lady. And the pattern of choosing unlikely people for God's work is seen throughout the the Bible and within Jesus' life as well. And that, I believe, continues today. For nothing is impossible with God. Thirdly, we see God uses the supernatural to intervene into this world, seen in the sending of the angel Gabriel and the Holy Spirit. There's a physical reality and a spiritual reality here with God's intervention. This is the second time within this opening chapter of Luke's Gospel that we read of the angel Gabriel speaking to human beings. When God intervenes and sends his angel, people generally react with fear and wonder. The supernatural instills fear into humanity because it's outside our experience and our understanding. And we have seen this within revivals in, in our land, and we've seen uh, most recently, I suppose, in the Toronto Blessing in Canada. And in the Bible we see this with Moses when God speaks at the burning bush, the transfiguration of Jesus, the action at Pentecost, to name just a few occasions. Well, here we read of Mary's meeting the angel Gabriel. She doesn't appear to be troubled with the actual meeting, but was troubled by the words and the greeting. Yet we see that she accepts them and submits to them. We also see the presence and work of the Holy Spirit within this account. Firstly, God promises to send his Holy Spirit upon Mary. Look at verse 35. And this Holy Spirit will enable the conception of the baby Jesus and the plan of salvation to work. Now many who object to the concept of the virgin birth of Jesus do so because they do not acknowledge and believe that God's Holy Spirit has the power to do this. But remember, for nothing is impossible with God. The Holy Spirit is also at work with with Elizabeth when she greets Mary and her baby witnesses to the coming of Jesus on her visit. And lastly, we read of the Holy Spirit enabling Mary to deliver the song of praise, verses 46 through to 57. So then what then is Mary's response to God's intervention through the angel? Well, 
Well, we see what she says in verse 46. Mary recognises her need for saving and that God is going to do this and it leads her to praise. And as I looked at this and thought about it, I wonder, does God's intervention into the world, sending Jesus to die on the cross to save us from our sin, lead us to praise him? This Christmas, will we be able to recognise that we are celebrating the fact that God intervened into human history, that God sent his own son to die for us? Or will we be engulfed by the human activities of Christmas time? Will we share this with others who do not recognise that Jesus died for them? Well, Christmas gives us a great opportunity, doesn't it, to do this, to share this great message of salvation that we have. And we can do this through inviting some people, some friends, neighbours to our carol services where they will hear this message again. Mary met with Gabriel. Mary listened and accepted the message and now goes on a journey to visit her cousin. Meanwhile, she must have been meditating on what had happened. Elizabeth greets her, blesses her and the child she's going to bear and the fact that this child will be Elizabeth's Lord. And the result of all of this is Mary's song, what we call the Magnificat. It's a hymn of praise, isn't it, which follows the form found in the Psalms, which begins by thanking God and then tells us why one is to be thankful. Psalm 103 has this, if you look at that carefully. Mary's praise is spiritually enabled by the Holy Spirit. Mary is not using her mind or her body to praise God. No, it's her soul and spirit that glorifies God. And the tense of the word magnifies mean that it's an ongoing process. Her soul continues to glorify the Lord. The witness is to the fact that her God is a saving God through whom all things are possible. This great God for whom all things are possible, Mary acknowledges as the one that saves and she needs saving. She acknowledges what God is going to do for the world through here. A bit similar to what Hannah said concerning the birth of Samuel. Mary displays an understanding of the fact that God had chosen a humble servant of lowly state which refers to her lowly social class in an occupied country, and that her life would have a profound impact on the present and the future world. And we see here that also the fact that God champions the poor, the oppressed, and the despised. In fact, God overturns the norms of society who upholds the proud and the wealthy. We also see within this song of Mary's something of the character of God as Mary understands it. Her insight into God's character gives her the confidence in him. And we can be reminded of the benefit in in this insight as we live in a world that denies the presence of a God for whom nothing is impossible. So let's have a brief look at some of these characteristics of God as seen in this song. Within these verses of verses 46 to 56, we see that Mary focuses upon God's holiness, God's power, 
and God's mercy. And these are the themes that are not only found here, but throughout the Old Testament. So firstly, the holiness of God. Mary acknowledges that all God has done for her. You look in verses 48 and 49, and states that God's name is holy. Now the name in antiquity was used in a much fuller sense than it is with us today. The name stood for the whole person. So this statement means not simply that God's name is a holy name and must be used reverently, it means that the whole of God is holy, completely pure and filled with majesty and glory. So the holiness of God. Secondly, we see the power of God in this song. Look at verse 51. God's power shown to the world as he scatters the proud, brings down the powerful and sends the rich away hungry. The proud here are indicated by those who have not subjected their thoughts and minds to God's rule. Their imaginations are proud and not just their actions. And here's a warning, isn't it, to all of us who live in a society that teaches us that we have the right to self in thoughts as well as deeds. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians 4 verse 22, writing to those Christians in Ephesus. He says this, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul writes that they were to submit all to Jesus if they were to be his followers. Verse 52 of this song refers to the actual rulers on earth, that is the political and military rulers. Mary proclaims that her God has authority over these seemingly secure and powerful people. And there's a revolutionary note here, isn't there, in verses 52 to 53, because it goes against the norms of human society. Mary proclaims that God's power is seen in his mercy to his own, lifting up the lowly and filling the hungry with good things. The tense of these verbs shows that whilst this is in the future, Mary was speaking prophetically of these events, so certain they were to occur, so that they were spoken as already had happened. In Mary's society, where the poor would be hungry, and there would be an impenetrable gap between the ruling classes and the poor, God's viewpoint is completely opposite to that of mankind's. Of course, this is a prelude to Jesus' teaching 30 years later, where on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus proclaims in Matthew 5, God blesses those who are poor and realise their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. But how is this possible? This is completely revolutionary. Well, look in verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And then thirdly, we see something of the mercy of God in this song. Look in verses 54 and 55. 
He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And Mary links the promises that God made to Abraham to be a merciful God forever. Jesus' birth fulfilled the promise that God had made to Abraham. And Mary understands this and it, as it's revealed by the Holy Spirit to her. We read of this in Micah chapter 7, verses 18 to 20, which says this, Who is God like you? Who pardons sins and forgives transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? Mary's song links the Old Testament promises with the New Testament coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So there we have it. What does Mary's song show to us? Well, surely Mary's song shows us that what is seen is all, not all that it seems. God takes the world's values and expectations and turns them upside down. God himself would come to earth in Jesus Christ and face rejection by the proud, the powerful, the rich and the religious. He would lift the lowly and fill the hungry. We see this through this song of Mary and later through the life of Jesus that God is mighty, merciful, ruthless against pride and injustice but sensitive to individual needs. God knows of humanity's sinful, stubborn nature and he sent Jesus, his son, to redeem us because for nothing is impossible with God. Mary was a revolutionary of her time. She was a humble young lady but shows a large vision of God, a sense of God's purpose of salvation and the heart of God for oppressed people. And so this is a strong message for us this morning, a message of faith in God who wills to act in a sinful world to save and redeem it. And it's the one that we can take into this Christmas time. Remember, we have a God for whom nothing is impossible. We have a saviour who loves this world so much that he came as a baby. He lived a perfect life and died on a cross so that we can have the promise of God, spending eternity with him, praising and saying, holy, holy is our God. Let us, this week, invite as many as we can to hear this message of God's good news to us this Christmas time at our services over this period. Amen.